Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. So glad you're along with me today, and you're going to be glad you are as well. Um, I have back on the podcast someone who I've uh, been able to speak with several times, and that is John Sweeney. And John, let me first say welcome back and, and hello to you. So I'll, I'll greet you now. Uh, thanks for joining me again. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And, and I'm, I'm not giving the, the huge introduction here. Uh, I thought I would do it after I actually said hi to you. So along the way, you could stop me and correct me or, <laughs> or make noises like groaning or laughing or whatever the case may be. Uh, but one of the things I want to say about John, he is an award-winning author, um, an independent scholar. You might know that because I've talked with him about uh, St. Francis of Assisi here on the podcast, which I guess is one of the spaces in which you are an independent scholar. Would that be accurate? That would be accurate. I thought so. Yeah. Uh, I know you've been interviewed in a whole host of spaces, um, much larger than Faith Conversations, uh, and in a, a range of, of publications, anywhere from the Dallas Morning News to the Irish Catholic um, on television for CBS Saturday Morning and a whole lot of other programs. Uh, I think it's interesting, and I wanted to make note of this too, your book, The Pope Who Quit, which that was, what, 2014, um, was optioned by HBO. And they, and, but what was the, what did they call that? What, what was the, what did they, they didn't call it The Pope Who Quit, or did they? Oh, well, no, they never made it into a film. If, I thought if they did, you know, you wouldn't have to introduce me. I would well, be incredibly famous. <laughs> so I didn't know that. How does that work? I mean, like HBO or whomever can option something, but then not do anything with it? Yes, they, they do this. They they find interesting uh, books and they, they option them right and left. And then they keep re-upping the option for years, in my case, uh, okay. tantalizing the author with the idea that a screenplay is being developed and uh, other things might happen. And then after six or seven years of that, uh, they said, well, all right, we're not going to re-up that option anymore because we couldn't make it, we couldn't make it work. So nothing right. ever really happened, except I get to say that it was optioned by HBO. Well, I love that. And of course, now that I asked, you know, and we got into this whole thing. Well, here's my question. As they re-up the option every year, please tell me money was involved. That makes me feel better. Yeah, no, I used to say to my wife, uh, I used to say to my wife, okay, uh, you know, I get the letter in the mail. All right, they're 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 doing it for another year. I don't mind taking a little bit more money from them, but I, I sure wish they would go the next step because when they do the option, they, they give you a little bit of money, but they also tell you what it would be if they then oh. actually went into development on a project. And that's a heck of a lot better. A heck of a lot better. Yeah, I'm still getting royalties on a book from, let's see, tw uh, not all that long ago, I guess, 2008. Um, a, uh, a I was an editor on it and, and I wrote about 50 of the devotionals. So I still get royalties on this from Moody Publishers. 
and I now call it my ice cream cone money. Though so that's yeah, how exactly that's, that's how small the royalty check is now. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, HBO was a little bit better than ice cream money, but, <laughs> sure. uh, it, but it did go away a few years ago, which made me sad. Oh, absolutely, for sure. Well, um, I'm here today to talk with you about your latest Meister Eckhart book, which is called Darkness and Light, and. You is this the third one, if I'm counting correctly? Yeah, it, it is. The first one was called Meister Eckhart's Book of the Heart, and then there was Meister Eckhart's Book of Secrets, yes. and then this is Meister Eckhart's Book of Darkness and Light. So personally, I have loved these. I have used many of these meditations with uh, to open up spiritual direction sessions with clients, and I recommend th these now three Meister Eckhart's books that you and your co-author have done um, far and wide. So you have co-authored these with Mark Burroughs. And I realize that I have always uh, spoken with you talking about these books. And and today I really kind of dug into Mark's um, bio and, well, and was elated to find, because I'm from Maine originally, elated to find that he now lives in Maine. But um, t talk to me a little bit about uh, what, how the two of you work together, and the fact that the, these books are not just tr are not straight translations of Eckhart's work. I mean, this is your you are authors. You're not editors. Talk a little bit about what that means here. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Mark Burroughs is my friend and a wonderful person, and he lives in Camden, Maine, uh, because his wife is a pastor there. Oh, wonderful. And and isn't, isn't that a nice place to, to have to be? Oh, yes, it is. And he he was a seminary and university professor for 40 years and has recently, very recently retired from that work. So he now does full-time uh, retreat work and writing and translating. And he has a great facility with the original German. So uh, and, and Mark also is is an expert in medieval Christianity. So he brings all of that to the project. Oh. I have a lot of background in medieval Christianity as well. I don't have the facility with the German. But what Mark and I do is we take the paragraphs and sentences and phrasings of Eckhart's original words. And then we we describe this in the introductions to each of the books. We revoice him. So there are times when there is a phrase that will be verbatim from that Eckhart sentence or paragraph. Um, there are some times when you won't have a ver verbatim phrase or sentence, but repeatedly the idea that Eckhart is is bringing forth, we are bringing forth in a in, in a fresh you know twenty first century idiom. It's a little bit like a paraphrase of the Bible uh, as opposed to a translation. But it's still a little bit different than that. But yeah, that's what we call it, revoicing. So it's not simply taking Eckhart and finding in him uh, poems. It's not like found poems, but it's somewhere between that and translation and our creative work. One of the things I also noticed as I was reading about your co-author, Mark Burroughs, is uh, that he is a poet himself. And I wondered if that was a part of your um, resume as well. I wasn't sure. Well, in my, in my, well, in, <laughs> I, I've never claimed that, you know, when, when you read a bio of me, you will see something like, you know, John Sweeney is an author of, 
of this and this and this and this, all these different genres. And and I often read those bios and I think, wow, I sound schizophrenic or something because I, I have written in a lot of genres. I mean, from children's books to memoir to theological works and things. But I've never claimed to be a poet. Now, in these three books, Mark and I both are poets. I mean, we are presenting poems. So I suppose I could call myself a poet, but I hesitate to do that uh, because I really feel like most of the creative work is happening on Eckhart's side. Uh, I am, I'm, I'm more transmitting than creating, but I don't know. Maybe I'm a poet. Uh, Mark is definitely a published poet. In fact, I think, as you know, Anita, part of my life also is that I've been a book publisher for a lot of a lot of years. So yes. I've been on the other side of the desk and I've had the privilege of publishing Mark's poetry over the years. So Mark's a terrific poet. Um, I, I don't quite uh, uh, claim that for myself. Well, I started, you know, I kind of dug into this because as I was reading endorsements for your book, um, I, I saw some wonderful names, not the least of which was Padre Otuma. And I noticed Christine Walters Paintner, who I have read for years and loved, and she's a poet as well. And she had commented on, I, maybe I think probably endorsed one, at least one book of poetry of Marks. And um, I, so I love that, um, that term revoicing, and that really makes sense to me. Uh, I, another question I have for you about Eckhart, um, why, what is your interest and enchantment or whatever you might call it with Meister Eckhart to have done a third volume? Um, I am certainly a fan, but you know a whole lot more. And I would like to know why, why Meister Eckhart? Why three volumes here? Well, I think more than any uh, of the medieval mystics, because I love the medieval Christian mystics. I've done a lot, as you mentioned, I've done a lot of work on St. Francis of Assisi um, and some other work in the medieval period. But when you look at all the different mystics, you could name five or six really great ones. And Meister Eckhart is my favorite. And he's my favorite because I think he's for all people who seek a deeper consciousness of God's presence. And frankly, that probably describes every human being on the planet, whether they whether they believe in God or not. There's something that is God's presence that we seek, all of us. And, and that's what Eckhart is all about. He speaks uh, so well for us, I think, because he has what some scholars of the time period have referred to as a sort of new vernacular theology that took place at that time. Eckhart kind of created it in uh, taking the best of what was being learned in the schools and uh, preaching it. A lot, a lot of his writings began as sermons in the vernacular, <laughs> which, um, as a lot of your listeners will know, in the late medieval period then became a big uh, turning point in what became the Protestant Reformation and all of that hubbub uh, about what was proper and what was not. So Eckhart kind of stands in the middle of some of those things. But he he found a way of expressing mystical communion and desire uh, and attachment and non-attachment and some of these things in ways that were startling and compelling and sometimes warm and inviting. So he, you, you just find this in his writings. And what I think the reason why these books have been successful is because 
everything I just described is occasionally in sort of dense paragraphs that people are hesitant to wade into. And so what we did was kind of lift it out and revoice it so that it's kind of crystallized. That makes a lot of sense. I'm also guessing that you just shared talking about startling and compelling and sometimes warm and inviting, but I'm thinking about the startling and compelling part of Eckhart and his writing and, and, sermonizing even in his day is part of what got him into trouble as well. Uh, I'm guessing, right? <laughs> uh, yes, it is part of what got him into trouble. But he was taking these mystical and theological ideas to a popular, often uh, lay or or not uh, not priestly audience. And that was thought to be a dangerous idea. I mean, Frankly, I don't think we've even gotten over that fully yet uh, in our churches often. So, you know, I mean, one of the most famous things that Eckhart said, which really is a key to understanding him in all respects, is he said, God's ground and my ground is the same. And he used the word grunt, this great German word, grunt. God's grunt and my grunt are the same, um, which is a uh, you know a dangerous idea a little bit uh, and he talked about things like uh, the necessity of a radical emptiness which is not only a a countercultural notion but it's also a, a notion that makes some theologically concerned people uh, nervous you know why empty why not full of you know theological truth and that sort of thing so, so the, these ideas are often kind of on the edge of communities uh, of different uh, ways of looking at faith. Yeah. Well, he uh, he was charged with heresy. I mean, to put it a little bit more bluntly. And what what came of that? What he he defended himself ably. So he was never convicted of heresy. He he defended himself uh, in great detail. Um, after his death, there was some more investigation. And so, you know, if he would have lived longer, I'm not quite sure what would have happened, but he survived uh, those heretical uh, accusations during his lifetime. I would love, well, actually, maybe let me ask a couple more questions first, and then I would love to um, read or have you read um, uh, a few offerings that I might suggest, and that I also might ask for uh, a favorite or two from you. But one of one of the things that I was talking with my husband about this. He's a, a retired pastor, and and his background was uh, Catholic grade school, high school, university, and graduate school, and then he became a Protestant minister eventually, um, but grew up. A staunch Catholic. And he and I were talking about um, these Meister Eckhart books that you've done in this specific new one, Darkness and Light. And I just want to let folks know I'll have links and information in the show notes as always, uh, if you would like more information and how to get um, copies. Um, and one of the things that he was saying is uh, we, we, we're talking about evangelicals because we, he and I both have that history together as well, um, that you can't, uh, evangelicals don't always admit it, but, but you cannot get away from, um, reading 
good Catholic theologians. I mean, you can't, you, you, I guess I'm asking you if you agree with that statement <laughs> to, to pose a question. <laughs> well, well, you're, you're talking to someone who grew up in evangelical and became a Roman Catholic as an adult. So you're asking the wrong guy, but <laughs> yes, I, no, I just want you to uphold my point. I'm not asking the wrong guy at all. Preach it. <laughs> Preach it, sister. Yeah, no, I, I mean, uh, you know, Francis of Assisi, to for whom I've kind of dedicated a lot of my my life and work, is the world's most popular saint for a reason. I mean, I have I have Buddhist friends who, who say, "Oh, he's my favorite saint." I have atheist friends who say, "Oh, he's my favorite saint." You know, I mean, there's and you know, Saint Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross and you know, all sorts of others. There's a reason why these are touchstone figures. Yeah. Um, I, I, we, one of the things we were talking about, um, I think he, uh, Mike, my husband was mentioning Raymond Brown, you know, a, a new test Catholic new Testament theologian. And he was talking with some evangelical pastors who all knew Raymond Brown, but of course, never mentioned him, never mentioned his influence on their work. And I don't know, it just makes me laugh. I don't know why I think it's just interesting, but you, you know, you have to know, you have to have read more broadly, I think, to just, I think that's, those are important conversations. Your Meister Eckhart, these books are important books, I think, if for many reasons, but just to broaden our horizons, to open us up, to take us to deeper places. That's my assessment. And I'm guessing that's some of your interest as well and desire. Yeah, no, it really is. And and I think what you're expressing is increasingly common. I think in the last quarter century, we've seen a lot of the Protestant world open up to Catholic spirituality and Catholic mystics and to sort of recognize that there's there's a great uh, treasure chest there that shouldn't be passed over. There was a time, you know, when I was a kid or a teenager, I think during that time, it was more believed if if you were in the Protestant camp that the only Catholic figures you could point to would be pre-Reformation ones. Mm. So, you know, it might be okay to, to talk about Francis of Assisi, but you would never talk about Teresa of Avila or John of the Cross uh, or even... Yeah. I, maybe Mother Teresa changed all that because because maybe. Mother Teresa became a, a Catholic and she was quite a mystic herself who sort of embraced both sides of that aisle, if you call Protestants and Catholics two sides of an aisle. So I don't know. But but there's there's been a big change and a big embracing in the last 20 years, I think, of some of these practices of silence and appreciating darkness and contemplation and Lexio Divina and all of these things that really come from Catholic spirituality. Yeah. Mostly. A spiritual direction too. Yes, right. Uh, uh, yeah, all you're right. All of those things. Well, I wanted to um, dive in and to the, some of the meditations themselves. Why, why do you call them meditations as opposed to um, poems or I don't know, I guess we don't, we don't call them poems because then that makes a lot of people think it's a literary book. And, you know, there's a lot of people who don't want a book of poems. Okay. That makes sense. They are styled as poems, but that I, I can just tell you, that's why we don't call them poems. Okay. I want, thank you. I wanted to know. Uh, I absolutely love one of, well, in fact, it's the first one in the first part of the book, part one in the beginning darkness want to know how to find God? 
and I'll, I'll actually, I'll, let me have you read this. It's always better having the author read uh, if you would read that first one. Sure. Want to know how to find God? If you want to know how to find God, there is no clearer way than seeking him where it was you last left him. If you feel you cannot find God, then retrace your steps. You will surely come upon him there. Self-explanatory. Nothing more need be said, but I really liked that. Well, I'll uh, tell you why I like that one, because sometimes Eckhart is extremely practical. I mean, that's the kind of teaching that my 12-year-old would would give me, you know? Yes, totally. Okay, Dad, you lost that thing? Okay, where did you last have it, you know? I mean, completely. Eckhart is flying with the angels, but sometimes he's very grounded and practical. Yes, uh, um, I agree. Well said. Uh, what are some favorites of yours? I, I have dog-eared some pages here, but um, I would love to hear a favorite or two of yours. Yeah, I, I will. Uh, one of the themes that I love in Eckhart is radiance. Hmm. Uh, so this this is a book, as you said, this is Meister Eckhart's book of darkness and light. So I love the two themes, if you will, in their extremes. I love the darkness. And I'm talking personally in my own life, mm -hmm. not just in Eckhart. And I love the light. Uh, I mean, most people love the light, but I also love the darkness, and we could do we could talk about that like after this. But I love the light, and and one of the words that he uses for the light is radiance, and he wants very much for his his listeners. They were mostly listeners, um, his readers, to know that they have this inner radiance that that's part of their light. So so there's one on page 150 of the new book called You Carry an Inner Radiance. And it goes like this. A great teacher once said that if we think of God as a word, then God is spoken. But if God is a word unspoken, then God is beyond speaking and knowing, beyond words, but not beyond you, since you carry an inner radiance, which also is beyond speaking and knowing but not beyond you in the nobility of who you are in your soul. There, in that spark, the unspoken God becomes radiant. This is one of the constant themes in Eckhart. I have to <laughs> prove to you I had that. You had it dog-eared. Dog-eared. Check mark. That was one of mine. <laughs> yes, I'll let you continue. That... Well, I, I would just add that this theme occurs again and again in Eckhart. And one of the things, one of the rare occasions when you will sometimes hear Eckhart quoted from a pulpit in a church is one of his essential teachings was about uh, the, the nativity or Christmas, the idea that the real meaning of Christmas is that God is born in you, um, you know, to, to, to take it out of you know, the, uh, the the story from the gospel and make it into um, a story that is timeless for all of us. So that that inner radiance is really all about uh, God born in you and finding God in you. I and maybe I've shared this when you were, have been on the podcast before talking about Eckhart um, many, many years ago. I was a student at Moody Bible Institute, and the president at that time was Dr. George Sweeting, someone whom I know you you know uh, as well. And 
I, you know, I, I knew nothing back then, but he often quoted Meister Eckhart. Did he really? Yes, he did. And this came back to me years later. And I, you know, I didn't know I, I, I loved, and sometimes I would go and find the, the quote or track the, it down um, whatever he would quote, he, he was a, a, a speaker who used a lot of different quotes and they often resonated with me. They were, they had, there was some depth to them. I wasn't used to that from where I had come from and maybe wouldn't have been, ex that wouldn't have been expected where I was then there and then at the time. But yes, he quoted often Meister Eckhart. And it wasn't until much, much later that I thought, wow, wow. Uh, who knew? Evidently no one around him knew. <laughs> yeah. Quoting. Yeah. Yeah. That's terrific. That's, that's special. I'm surprised, but that's yes. I, it was wonderful. And it meant a lot to me then when I, because that was new to me. And then later, as I realized probably the, the meaning of that, uh, or the, the, the weight of that probably. So you read something about radiance. How about something about uh, darkness and, and talk a little bit about why darkness is something that's important to you and, and then pick something in the book also to read. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll have to look at my dog ears for darkness, but what <laughs> I would say about darkness before I read something is, you know, there's the verse in Matthew six, um, I often think of Matthew 5 and Matthew 6, you know, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount when I think of Eckhart, because he's he he finds uh, poverty and non-attachment very important. And and I, I think he's being quite biblical when he talks about these things. So, you know, Matthew 6, there's a verse that says that the eye is the lamp of your body. But then the very next verse goes on to praise the eye that sees full of light instead of the eye that is lost in darkness. So we, we we end up with this view that darkness is bad and light is good. But there's so much more than that, I think. And sometimes it's the Christian mystics that help us to see that. So um, there's another understanding of darkness. There's the darkness that we find ourselves in and we'd rather not be there, but we need to be prepared for it. And then there's the darkness that we desire um, or maybe we should desire. Um, Eckhart says, because in the darkness, we are able to confront the things that we usually try so hard to avoid. One of those other mystics I mentioned, uh, John of the Cross, uh, did a lot with this as well. A um, couple centuries after Eckhart, he, he said, with no other light or guide than the one that burns in my heart. And and for and for those of your listeners who are Christian and think that this doesn't sound very Christian, I would I would just say that I think it comes directly from, like the Gospel of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. I, I mean, the message of non-attachment and letting go of all kinds of anxiety come from the poverty that's preached in the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are the poor, and it's kind of the essence of discipleship is to be able to do this and to kind of face what it is that you need to face. And sometimes in the darkness, when everything else is stripped away is when you are best able to do that. Well, you just use the phrase when everything is stripped away. And because in my mind, the image that came was um, a sculptor working with a big block of whatever granite wood, you know, I mean, it could be what it, it's, um, 
formless, you know, until, until the work takes place. And, and I guess, you know, that, that, that hidden figure is in the darkness until it is allowed to emerge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'll mention another one of those exemplary people that I mentioned earlier, Mother Teresa, you know, you remember that about 10 years after her death, we all discovered that she had lived in a spiritual darkness for half a century. And I wrote a book about her once. And so I studied this quite a bit. And, and uh, you know, I think that her experience of this also was a profound identity with the poor that she served, is that she lived in the same kind of poverty that they lived in, not only physically, but spiritually, but yet was faithful. Um, there's something profound that goes on in that darkness. And, and then just to bring it sort of full circle to real, you know, physical life, I love the dark weeks and months myself. So ah. I I still live here, you know, in, in a place where we have all four seasons. And I love December and January. I love waking up in the morning when it's dark. I always get up early. Um, but nowadays, when I get up at five o'clock in the morning, it's all light out. And I don't like that as much. I like the quiet, introspective darkness. Um, I find it very healing. Now, I know there are some people who totally don't, but I do. Well, and I'll just add to that. I, I lived in the Midwest for you know three decades, and um, upon moving to Sarasota, uh, Florida, initially, um, every day that it was sunny, I thought, oh, I need to get up and get out and enjoy this, because soon it won't be, <laughs> you know, not realizing that that's not the case. And so now, how I live and breathe in this environment is that I can't wait for an overcast and rainy day that allows a whole different mindset. And I, so I understand exactly what you're talking about, but from the reverse, really. Yep. Yeah. So there's a couple that I would read if, if Please. you still have time. Yes, I do. I'd love to hear them. So let me read one about sort of about darkness. And then let me read one that I would suggest people use as a as a contemplative guide in some darkness. And, and so let me, let me give you the two. One is on page 19. The other one's on page 25. So on page 19, this one is called The Dark Way. You can do no better than to place yourself in darkness, no longer striving to know and discover, but rather to unknow. This is a sacred potential darkness, one of possible receptivity where you will find yourself in a position to be made whole. Forgetfulness of self and other creatures is the dark way of unknowing, and it is the path of bare simplicity to God. That's just essential Eckhart. I mean, that's almost Eckhart in a nutshell. And then this other one on page 25 is one that I would suggest people might take with them sometime if they're willing. I mean, some people are really afraid to do this, and I understand that. So, I mean, if if there are people listening thinking, oh, my, I don't want to do that, I get it. But I suggest you try um, sitting in the dark in prayer or contemplation or meditation or whatever you call it. So this one is called Where Darkness Takes You. How is this for darkness? You are known in heaven without your face and form because there is one image only and it is God in whom you are truly seen. Yeah. I have I have some monk friends 
who refer to that that second one that I just read, who refer to that sort of uh, prayerful practice as the no name me that 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 each one of us, you know, we go we we spend our lives trying to figure out who we are and what makes us distinctive and discovering our true self and letting go of our false self and that sort of thing. But I think Eckhart says something else. I mean, I, Eckhart says that there is a you and you but you can't really know it. And what but you can do is rest in gratitude and non-attachment and uncertainty if you're willing in order to fi really find God. And when you do um either now or in the next life my monastic friends sometimes say you will discover what your real name is i mean there there will come a day when you discover what your real name is a thousand percent yes i'm with them i could yeah. never say it as eloquently but yes uh i highly recommend meister eckhart's book of darkness and light meditations on the path of the wayless way which we didn't really talk about the wayless way that way that is a uh phrase that's a that's um what well i'll let you say a word about that because well it, it's a little bit what i was just saying there at the end which is being willing to live without attachment yeah. being willing to live without certainty being willing to unknow some things i think it's almost the exact opposite of what our parents raise us to be and to yes. do Yes. To, you know, know who we are and stand up for who we are and figure out what we believe and go after, you know, and Eckhart is almost taking us back to the gospel and saying, yeah, you did it all wrong. <laughs> um, for a lot of people, I think it's kind of a stage of life thing. You know, you do that other when you're young. And as you get older, you realize that a lot of that is kind of spinning um, and not exactly accomplishing a whole lot. And what you're now supposed to do is wind yourself back to what is most essential. And often we realize, you know, later in life, I think for a lot of people, yeah. we realize we don't know as much as we thought we knew. Yes. At least at least we know what the questions are, but we learn how to rest. We learn how to rest and to be in God and to be in our sort of uh, the center of who we are. And when we rest there, we find God there because God's with mm -hmm. us. So that wayless way is not knowing exactly what the directions are. I like that. John Sweeney, author, editor, and yes, preacher. <laughs> For sure. John, thank you so much. Always good to have you. Really appreciate uh, your work. Um, and I know you'll keep it up. You're just such a thoughtful writer. And I have deeply appreciated um, these volumes uh, from Meister Eckhart. Um, and again, highly recommend Meister Eckhart's book of darkness and light. Thank you so much. 